Lack of justice means the end of the world has already come. Lack of justice means no ties have survived that could have kept society together. If there is no justice, summers are not beautiful, fruits are not delicious. If there is no justice, songs are considered to be lies and poems fake. In a land without justice, there can be neither pride about the past nor confidence in the bright future. A day without justice is felt to last as long as a century. Nature abandons the world if it is without justice. Trees die, waters dry up, birds cease singing. Cruelty resigns in a place without justice. There is injustice, evil. Only if there is justice can there be civilization with honor, with history. Only there can there be humanity. If there is no justice, then there is nothing. That was Zeynep Oral reading the Declaration of Pan Turkey. Welcome to Turkey the Long View. In 1998, the then mayor of Istanbul, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, was arrested for reciting a poem. Unfortunately, he seems to have learned the wrong lesson from that experience. Now, Turkey is one of the worst imprisoners of writers and journalists in the world, and organizations like PEN or the IPI are more necessary than ever. Joining me this episode to discuss freedom of expression is the director of Pen Turkey, Zeynep Oral. Thank you for joining me. To start with, um, for people who don't know, could you briefly lay out what Pen Turkey is? Okay, the Pen Club, where the writers meet, uh, was founded a hundred years ago, almost, in Britain in uh, 1921. And Turkey was one of the first uh, countries who uh, joined immediately. Pen Club, this year, 2020, we're celebrating our 17th anniversary. It was founded by Halide Edip Adivar, who is a great classical writer of Turkish, and it's she, a woman writer. And um, Pen, the name comes from poets, essayists and novelists. So, I mean, it has double meaning. We have some uh, 300, 400 uh, members. Uh, All the pen centers in the world, they have really two aims. One is to promote literature. I mean, make literature more popular, make uh, literature more profound, and share it with everybody, find new writers, promote them, and so on. And the other is uh, freedom of expression, freedom of thoughts, wherever is necessary. Uh, Sometimes they call us Turkish pen. We don't like this term. We are called Pan-Turkey because in our center we have so many different ethnicities, uh, origins, uh, even uh, people from different nationalities who are members. 
and we try our best uh, to do those things. In fact, uh, we, we are a non-governmental organization. We have no bound, no funding from whatever <laughs> government or organization. It's only uh, our member fees and uh, all of us were working there as uh, volunteers. That's all. For example, I had visited uh, lately when I was in London, Penn, Britain. Mm -hmm. I was so jealous when I saw all their buildings, their assembly halls, their staff. They had a regular staff and so on. Uh, it is really, no, we don't have such means, but uh, we do uh, have a voice and that's important. Okay, um, so obviously I invite you on here today to talk about freedom of expression and the sort of profound problems that Turkey is having in this regard at the moment. Um, there are a lot of different um, contributing factors and ways that freedom of expression problems materialize in Turkey at the moment. And it's gotten extremely bad in the last few years. However, there's also quite a long history of imprisoning writers, academics and journalists in Turkey that goes well beyond uh, the, this current era and this current age. So I'm wondering if you could um, put the current situation into a historical context. In the historical context, um, uh, thinking, expressing oneself, uh, if uh, it was against the taboos of the nation, it was regarded as very, very dangerous. So it had to be stopped. I mean, during the Cold War years, the left ideas, anything which was left was very, very dangerous. It was communist, it was against the constitution, it was forbidden by law and so on. Uh, so, I mean, anything um, labeled left would go to prison. And, of course, there were the other uh, aspect of it. Anything very Islamist, uh, uh, unsecular, that was also uh, considered to be very dangerous. And we had two laws which, I mean, could label anybody to go to prison because they were against, uh, let's say, the official uh, idea or the official politics. So writers were always, always considered to be dangerous people. And that's why throughout the history, we had military coups and so on. I've been a journalist for the more than 50 years now, and uh, I've witnessed three military coups, and I've witnessed civil coups as well. And I must say that what we're living nowadays is even more dangerous for writers, for journalists. Why? Because in military coups, you knew that it was for a certain period of time. Three months, two months, four times. There was elections afterwards and it was fish. Yes, they were very harsh. There was torture. There was terrible things happened. With each military coup, the country 
went 50 years back, socially, economically, and all that. Uh, but you knew that it had a certain law. You knew what was right, what was not right, what you couldn't say, what you could say. You knew that it had its own, um, it was incoherent in its own self. There was a logic. Whereas today, I mean, because we're talking of today, today we know nothing. Anybody. You, me, the neighbor next door, anybody can go to prison tomorrow without, without knowing why. And it has been going on for such a long time now. The last 10 years have been terrible. I mean, I don't want to go into special uh, examples, but I mean, the same tweet 140 taps can be written by 90,000 people, the same retweeted 90,000 times, and they'll pick only four of them to take into prison. Why? We don't know. The same sentence, the same criticism could be done by this or by that person. One of them will be taken to prison, not the other. We don't know why. Well, in fact, we know why, but I don't dare to say it now. <laughs> um, but uh, you see, I mean, it's not coherent. It does. It's beyond logic. It's beyond law. It's beyond the Constitution. Uh, it's against the Constitution, in fact. I'm not a law person, but I know that uh, in our even in our criminal laws, mm -hmm. uh, you have to produce a reason to be under custody or for a questioning or to be taken to prison. There are cases where people have been waiting their accusation. Uh, they wait for a year to understand why are they here in prison without even seeing a judge or being uh, at the court. Okay, I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts on what you've just said, and I think I'll, we'll move on to talking about kind of um, the legal sides of this as well, because it's really interesting. But first, I just want to talk about one of, the, one of the changes that I think is interesting from sort of earlier eras of problems for journalists and writers in Turkey and the modern era. And that is that it's actually, I guess, an area where things have improved over the years, is that... Um, in the last 20 years, the number of journalists and writers who've been killed has declined quite steeply, um, with kind of a few notable exceptions like um, Harant Dink, obviously, and more recently Jamal Khashoggi, but that obviously has nothing to do with the Turkish government yeah. itself. So yes. I'm curious to know, um, why has this positive change happened over the years? Well, uh, there are less killings now. Uh, because nowadays you can't keep secrets anymore. Uh, I mean, people are more uh, apt to learn the truth. Mm -hmm. They are after the truth. Now people, I mean, uh, when uh, I was working for Milliet newspaper where my editor was Abdi Ipekci and he was shot in the middle of the street and the guy who shot him was taken into to Germany 
And when the Turkish governments asked him back, they said, no, we, you don't have human rights there. We have human rights and we're saving the killer. Mm -hmm. so, uh, you, you see, I also think that uh, uh, Europe, the Western world, has not been very positive with Turkey at all, in all throughout the years. Yes, now the killings has diminished. Yes. Mm -hmm. The reason why is that uh, you can't keep any more uh, so many secrets because of the air we're living in, because of the digital world, the people are more interested to know the truth, to go beyond what uh, everybody tells you and so on. So it's difficult now to organize such crimes. Right, right. Oh. Um, I also think that um, with the um, the assassination of Herendink, it, it really it really almost represented the last shot of the violence of the 90s and the 80s. It's kind of a, it almost like oh. so, so almost sort of drew a line under that era in a way. And it was kind of a sign that that was no longer going to be acceptable anymore. Do you think I've got that right or if I, am I missing something there? Well, I'm afraid it may happen. It may come back anytime. Those are so fragile, tangible things that uh, uh, people forget mm -hmm. when they put an end to an ear, they may very quickly forget. Of course, now that we're talking of Hrant Dick, I must say that Hrant was a very good friend of mine. I admired him. I admired his courage, his work. We did a lot of things together. We attended conferences and peace talks, conflict resolutions, and so on. He was a marvelous person, and we needed so much his talent, his courage, his vision, his mission. Unfortunately, yeah, we lost. It's true. Um, okay, moving on. So as you mentioned earlier, um, the tool that's most used uh, to um, clamp down on freedom of expression is imprisonment. Um, Turkey is one of the worst in prison of journalists and writers in the yeah. world. Um, so can you briefly describe under what grounds are so many imprisoned? Like what's the official justifications? Well, uh, before going to the official justification, I want to say that Nowadays, I mean, a few days ago, it was uh, the Press Freedom Day and the uh, syndicate of journalists uh, gave some numbers. They announced that there was uh, 85 uh, journalists still in prison and only for journalistic reasons. Those people haven't taken neither a gun or nothing into their hands, never had any violence. Uh, and They just wrote okay and there and again recently uh, the uh, reporter sans frontières published uh, a, a report which they did among 180 countries and turkey is there at the level of 155 or so and with uh, Turkmenistan, Northern Korea, and so on. That's shameful. And I know that our reputation in the outside world is with China, we're the biggest prison for journalists. I mean, people label Turkey like that. Mm -hmm. 
The official reason why those people are there is terrorism, in quotation. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, what you call terrorism depends from which side you look at. For sure. And um, what uh, terrorism, uh, what they consider to be terrorism nowadays, are mainly two things. Mm-hmm. Or maybe three. One, opposing the uh, politics of the government, of the president, uh, because the government is the president now. Mm-hmm. Another thing is uh, very uh, delicate uh, Kurdish issue. And, of course, the FETA issue. Uh, which is uh, another Islamist group, uh, which is um, the leader is in the States, as you know. I mean, anybody can be put into one of these bags. Mm-hmm. But, uh, for example, let's talk of a case, Osman Kavala, who is a, a visionary, uh, business and industrial business person and that who is uh, subsidizing a lot of cultural events including literature culture in the variety uh, of the turkish it's a richness of variety for him so he subsidizes those filming literature theater whatever is cultural Okay, mm-hmm. they put him in prison. We waited for the accusation. It turned out to be that uh, he's a terrorist organizing uh, the Gezi events. And he was acquitted from that. He was going to leave the prison. After two years, they decided, no, no, he is a spy. So, I mean... Uh, All these are excuses. We don't know. As I said before, there is no logic, there is no law, there is no reasoning. So we don't know what. I don't know, at least. (laughs) So, I mean, historically, um, Article 301 of the Penal Code, um, insulting Turkishness, was often used against writers. For example, um, Elif Shefak uh, was famously um, accused of it, and I think Heron Think was as well. Um, do we see this article used anymore, or has that has that particular avenue closed? No, there's. It's still being used. No, it's still being. I remember, Pan Turkey was questioned several times because uh, of. Uh, how did you say uh, harassing Turkishness? Uh, yeah, no. insulting Turkishness. Insulting I think it's. Turk. Yeah, insulting. I think, I'm not sure if that's what how it's actually written now, no, but it was certainly uh, used to be called that. Uh, you know why? Because we made a declaration two mm-hmm. years or three years ago. Uh, you know, we have a great composer, pianist Fazıl Say, who is uh, a writer at the same time. Uh, he was. Uh, taken to court, uh, questioned, uh, threatened, because he had tweeted four lines 
of the poet Omer Khayyam. Okay? Of course, others have treated, but no, he was taken to court case because he's an outspoken, critical intellectual. And so Pan Turkey published a statement uh, saying that such a thing is insane, that such a thing is fascismus. This is fascism. Mm -hmm. And because we had said this is fascism, <laughs> we were taken to court <laughs> of insulting Turkishness because Turkey cannot be a fascist. The, and the other, the other method that's often used is um, obviously insulting the president, which is, um, it's t terrorism is the most used, but insulting the president is also used oh, yes. a lot hundreds, as, a reason, as another, another reason. And the last one that I think is a rel relatively recent, you're seeing lots of um, espionage um, cases coming up, all this business around Oda TV is all, all the journalists there are being accused of yes. for um, releasing the information of this um, intelligence officer. Uh, well, I'm working for Jumuriyet newspaper and uh, about this intelligence officer, everybody knew about it. The government talked about it. The president talked about it. Everybody talked about it. When uh, in my newspaper, there were articles about it. Mm -hmm. They took them to prison. Today, Pehlivan Terkoğlu and Pehlivan Hirschol, they are both in prison. And uh, journalists from my newspaper are also. They are asking three years of prison for uh, Fatih Portakal. Mm -hmm. uh, what, uh, what really annoys me a lot um, with this coronavirus epidemic, we are living in a very special time. And Turkey has so many tasks to do vis-a-vis -vis, uh, of the people, of its own people. And now we're still running after seeing who wrote what tweet. I mean, this is impossible. All this energy, all this strength which goes away, which is weighted, wasted. And it, it is wasted as well because, I mean... Uh. Even even if you profoundly believe that some of these people have done something illegal, what happens in quite a lot of these cases is when they get to higher courts, um, they end up being thrown out. It just takes a long time to go through. And the way the the way the system is written, particularly for terrorist related mm -hmm. charges, it's very hard for people to get out. And they spend a lot of time in pretrial, and it it almost feels yeah. like the pretrial itself is just the punishment. It the, is. The, the, pe the people looking for these prosecutions aren't super worried if they actually get a conviction at the end. It's all about, um, yeah, it's all about like, well, we're gonna we're gonna screw up your life for a couple of years because we can. Yeah. And I think that's. Uh, do you think I've understood that correctly? That's one point, and another point is. Uh, a threat. You be careful to what you write, to what you say. I mean, it is, uh, you may, your fate can be like his or hers. So be careful. They are frightening people. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, illegally in our, well, at least legally, what I know is that you could only put to prison if there was a risk of uh, running away mm -hmm. out of the country, 
then as a precaution, you could put them in prison. But nowadays, there is no way to run away from the country. The borders are closed, everything is closed. No? So there is, as I said, there is no logic in it. So. Also, I, I believe that some of the powers that were given to the courts after the coup d'etat in 2016 gave them quite a lot of ability to seize people's passports as well. Yeah. Okay, um, so let's let's move on. Um, the other thing about the system, the system's been designed that it gives a lot of power to the judiciary and then the executive has a lot of power over the judiciary. But what I can never be sure about is what the connection between sort of central government and the courts is. Are prosecutors and judges acting on their own kind of initiative or is there a more coordinated top-down approach from central government? Well, I wouldn't know. <laughs> of course, we don't, we don't know. But um, we have had so many cases that if a judge gave a decision which was unliked by the government or the head of the government, he would be uh, sent to, to a little village or to wherever. I mean, they have been punished for uh, giving uh, decisions which weren't in accordance with the government. Uh, of course, when I said uh, it's also all these um, happenings, uh, uh, they make uh, the writers, the journalists, uh, they oblige them to autocensure, which is uh, self-censorship is worse than the censorship of the state. So you're you're in you're in contact with a lot of writers. Do um do they report a lot the urge to self-censor to keep their ideas to themselves to be careful about what they say online? Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, they are. And uh, you know anybody who says, <coughs> sorry, who says no, I'm not afraid. I don't uh, believe. Everybody is very afraid. Everybody right. is frightened. Yeah. To speak out, to, to write, uh, yeah, it's a difficult period. Though one of the things that I think is interesting, and I'm really curious to get your opinion on this, is that the the crackdown on journalism and of, of writing has come quite broadly across the spectrum. I mean, for example, you've got sort of Islamists who worked at Zaman, uh, Kurdish journalists, Kemalists, liberals have all been kind of put under similar pressures. I wonder if you think there's been a sense of solidarity between these these quite different political positions and that these these groups which don't have a lot in common have kind of whether there is any solidarity building between them as a result of this. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> ah, that's a shame. Oh, I was hoping for something positive there. No, I, no unfortunately, I don't think so. No, because um, the government also is so keen on separating, on uh, creating a stress, a, a fight between, I mean, in every 
every field of life, every field of life, it, uh, their motto is either you're from us or you're the enemy. So in the very simplest thing, even the simplest, the most stupid detail, it can be a show on TV, it can be a phrase a minister said, it can be any stupid moment in life, the nation is cut into two. Mm -hmm. And I think the government is uh, feeding himself from this, from the stress, from this uh, animosity, from this uh, conflict. They're relying on this to go on. Partisanship is a hell of a drug. Yeah. No, it is. Uh, uh, well, of course, it's affected some. Okay. But uh, people, no, they still are very far away from each other. So you find when, for example, you uh, do find when you do, a, say, a petition for a writer of a certain political perspective, you don't get a broad uh, condemnation of their imprisonment? Does it come out of one group or another? Or do you find you get people, when people do speak up about an arrest or a trial, do you find that there is broad political support from various different groups? Or is it generally coming out of like that person's camp? It's mostly that person's camp. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's, Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, dis that's disappointing. It's like that. So that's why in our, when pen as pen, we make declarations, we try not to give names, but we try to talk for everybody. And as I say, people are really afraid. They mm -hmm. are. Nowadays, uh, we have a group of musicians who are in prison, group Europe. They are also accused of terrorism. There were millions listening their records, going to their concerts and so now they are in hunger strike and they are dying. Mm -hmm. Where are all these people? Um, obviously incarceration is a really important part of the crackdown on freedom of expression in Turkey, but it's not, it's not the only problem of free expression at the moment. So um, what other issues do you think are important um, to consider? Well, important issues is that so many journalists lost their jobs. That's a very serious. They have no place to write. I mean, um, uh, the head of the government may say, throw this person out of your newspaper. And mm -hmm. I mean, people lose. Uh, and, you know, our president knows everything. He's... Uh, good in journalism, in science, in architecture, in art, in culture, he knows everything, so he decides. Uh, and lots of newspapers have been um, changing hands. They have been sold, they have been bought by others, uh, so papers have, I, I don't think that the newspapers are doing their job any longer with the exception of a few. Uh, the same with the televisions, I mean. Uh, <laughs> the unemployment is a huge subject for the matter. And uh, there are all these uh, things which are stopped in the internet. 
you cannot uh, see uh, mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah there are all these um, things which are forbidden from time to time and they open again they change i mean even the number in prison they change so often we recently had a you know a campaign a forgiveness they let out all the mafia the killers and so on but uh, they didn't leave out uh, the writers yeah i mean yeah. there was that um truly like harrowing cases of um of abusers who were let out of prison and went straight home and assaulted their previous wives and yet exactly. journalists remain in prison it's it was really yeah. really yeah. really really dark um, it is well okay um so i i wanted to ask you you mentioned like some of the um the websites that have been closed down and blocked access to for we all know that wikipedia was closed for a long time but it's also yeah. it is certainly true that these um those the online blocks have a particularly particularly hard hit on kurdish newspapers and information from like yeah kurdish reporting so I would wonder if you talk about what, what specific problems the Kurdish community has with relation to freedom of expression. Well, uh, I think they have exactly the same problem as the Turkish journalists. I mean, you know, when we're reporting about Turkey, I mean, I at least, I'm not used to think as... Uh, Turkish reporting or Kurdish reporting, we, we don't make that. Uh, for us, uh, for me, uh, journalism is journalism. There is mm -hmm. no English journalism, French journalism, Kurdish journalism. And whenever you report from Turkey, uh, we are facing exactly the same problems. Maybe... Uh, local journalists are more in danger because they don't have such a huge readership and so on. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I don't know. So we know less about them. But uh, I've been interested in uh, what's going on. Uh, I know that they have exactly or even worse problems as a Turkey. I don't like to do the separation. Huh? So, again, we talked about journalism quite a lot. Um, what other areas of free expression are under attack in Turkey? Uh, well, still, uh, for our writers, I mean, <laughs> maybe 10 days ago, again, one of, the, one of our very famous writers, Pınar Kür, who had published a wonderful book, uh, Women to be Burned, maybe 30 years ago, all of a sudden, because it was immoral, mm -hmm. was uh, was forbidden all of a sudden. And Wait, some, so, so they've, they've, what, they've banned I the publication mean, of the book? Yeah. Really? Exactly. I mean, it's uh, unbelievable. And uh, it is like rhetoric for the television. Mm -hmm. There is uh, another committee, which is called... Uh, belonging to the government, uh, protecting the children from pornography and so on, that they decide all of a sudden to uh, stop the publication of this book because it's immoral. 
a classic almost <laughs> for our literature. I mean, literary people, even if they are not journalists, they are very much touched by this. So what was the, um, what do you think it was about that book that made them want to um, to censor it? I don't know. They they decided, and then we made such a big noise about it that, okay, okay. You know, everything is like that. Something happens, they take a decision in the government, the committee takes a decision, and then everybody starts screaming about it. That's why you have to scream very high for changing some laws also. That's what we always tell to people. You have to work with NGOs and you have to scream high, high, high. Mm-hmm. To make them step back. So, Does it always help? I'm not so sure. <laughs> so what can an institution like Penn do to try and improve the situation? Oh my God. What do we do? Every time there is uh, an abnormal decision like this, uh, we raise our voice, we try to create the, the people interested into the matter, we send letters, uh, signature campaigns <clears throat> but I must say that when international pen makes a demand a call to the Turkish government then uh, we try to let them do their work because we believe that the country involved shouldn't be part of that okay I, I see um, what's um, what's the logic behind that uh, to save ourselves. <laughs> okay, just to distance the inst- your institution. Yeah. I see. And um, and what? what and what kind else of- do we do? Of, of course, I mean, uh, we try to make a, a, a pool of interest so that people will get moved by it, so that they will uh, do raise their voice about it. But uh, I don't think that uh, it helps a lot. I see. Um, so I'd like to ask um, what other institutions you think are doing important work in this space? <laughs> okay. Well, we do a lot of uh, work together with the Writers' Union, mm-hmm. Journalists' Union, with IPI, International Press Institute, uh, the Editors' Guild. Mm-hmm. That's also important. And, uh, of course, uh, when we think of uh, liberty of expression, liberty of thoughts, so we also think of uh, uh, women issues as well. And that's a very serious problem for us here. And for women issues, we work together with uh, the Istanbul Bar that have a very powerful, sufficient uh, uh, women's section uh, and so we work together we try to work together with them and uh, another organization is the Chadash uh, Yashama Destekleme and all that and so and I believe that the only way to uh, to make your voice heard is if you work together with all these uh, bodies okay so in from the big picture, it seems to me that the only way that these the problems we've discussed are going to get fixed is if the if the judiciary itself gets quite severely reformed. And I don't see that happening 
under a current government. So I'm I'm curious to know if you think any of the opposition parties um, make concrete promises to reform the judiciary, to make it more independent, to alter some of these or repeal some of these laws, which make it so easy to clamp down on freedom of expression. Um, yeah. Do any of the opposition parties have all like, of them. proper all policies of them. about this? All of them, all of them, from HDP to JHP to E-Party, and they all speak about that the first thing to do is to make a legal reform. That's our only hope. Okay, so my last question, um, for people who might be listening and want to help in this issue, either in Turkey or internationally, what, what can people actually do to try and improve the situation to support people who've been imprisoned and these kind of things? Well, uh, first, I believe they have to be a bit non-biased because, I, you know, this uh, Westerner approach to Turkey's problems uh, sometimes really... Uh, disturbed me. The moment uh, they they act as if the big brother giving advice, it will just uh, do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe it's more uh, trying to understand, uh, to learn about it, to know more about it. Uh, that will improve things. That's our show. Many thanks to Zeynep Oral. There are so many other aspects of this issue that we didn't go into today. However, the thing that Zeynep showed me that troubles me the most is the arbitrariness of the system. People lose their livelihoods and liberty for a few poorly chosen words or a piece of reporting that someone in a position of power takes offence to. And because the system is quite arbitrary, it makes it very difficult for writers, for editors, for journalists to protect themselves and to make smart choices. And that's very frustrating. One of the things that I've learned at Dubar is that there are some extremely talented, thoughtful people trying to do their jobs, trying to keep the public informed and to hold the powerful to account. However, they are all aware that one day it could be them that makes a mistake. Um, And going about your life with that pressure, with it on your mind, takes its toll. So I just want to take a moment to thank those people for the work that they do. And uh, that's our show. Uh, Thank you for listening. Music, as always, is by Betta Norman and DJ Neo. I'll see you next time. Um, Stay safe.